Our favorite game was chicken. When our parents weren't watching, we used to swim as far out as we dared. It was about who would get scared and turn back first. by far the stronger swimmer and he had no excuse to hello fail. and welcome to yet another episode of lay film my name is kevin one of the co-hosts here uh on this podcast we like to discuss films as if we were just coming out of the movie theater talking about it with all of our friends um today i have my fellow co-hosts with me tyler and patrick patrick sorry <laughs> <laughs> and then um today we have a very special guest as well uh, i would like to introduce everyone to chris valenzuela hey yo. what's going on everybody chris it's um really cool to have you on here uh just a little bit of background on how we met uh we met at the davis film festival i want to say in early november i think Wow, yeah, I, I think then already, wow. I know, it's crazy that a month has already, like, flown past. Um, but yeah, it was uh, cool seeing you there. Uh, you were, like, one of the few people left. It was a very, very long day. <laughs> how, how, how long were you there for that day, if you don't mind me asking? So, I was uh, busy with an errands. I had a couple run. So, like, I wanted to be there the whole day, but I could only last did like from six to to nine i think it was from until your film was so six to nine mm -hmm. that's that's how long i was there cool well um chris do you want to like tell us a bit about yourself yeah so i'm trying to break more or trying to discover more of like the sacramento film scene and, and then davis uh, film festival is kind of like where i wanted to start off and that's where i saw your amazing film and a bunch of others and i'm trying to break more into the the freelance editing game since uh that's what i'm deciding is you know a proper career choice after you know my two previous failed uh you know adventures i'd say so freelance editing is my game cool um so are you currently uh studying film at all yeah uh <clears throat> theater film that's my major currently nice um if you or uh what what about film was um or what about the entire like field like drew you into it if you don't mind me asking oh sorry sorry what was the question uh what about film and theater like drew you into the medium just the work that gets put into them where you see a film like Gattaca, for example, and you're like, <clears throat> the amount of time to take to, you know, perfect such a product, I wonder, you know, what goes into it. And then from there on, I just kind of more focused on, like, you know, like sound design. And then from there, you go to cinematography and the editing. And I'm like, wow, there's so, you know, much going for it. Because um, theater film wasn't originally my major. I, I was 
going for philosophy, but then a year into it, I'm like, I'm kind of tired of, you know, words of very, very old dudes. I'd rather, you know, focus on something more entertaining and just movies and films are just kind of a result from that. And um, you mentioned that you wanted to get started in editing. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So it first started off as just kind of just stupid edits you'd make. Like, say, you know, you film something with your friends and you're like, oh, let me just, you know, throw something together. It'd be funny. But then from there, it kind of built up to like, wow, I just really like just putting things together, just editing and because you could just take like a boring product and through, you know, some meticulous five hours of just work. And now here you are with like just something fun. Yeah, it's really cool how like that sort of stuff happens when, you know, you just sort of like stumble into this sort of like medium or like any any sort of field for that matter. Like I, I, I had a similar introduction to film um, in high school, like um, just stumbling upon like video production. And then I ended up really taking a liking to it. So it's cool to hear that, like, you know, in spite of, you know, checking out this other area of philosophy that you worked your way back into this area to like explore for, for your future and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it's a lot more entertaining this this field, this medium, because there's just so many creative forces behind it. And for that, I just I really like, yeah, just, you know, meeting people like you, you know, leads to opportunities like this. So, you know, better than kicking it, reading philosophy, I guess. <laughs> Do you think that um, your previous... Uh... I guess journey into philosophy has like lent lent itself to you during this like a uh, this transition into filmmaking. Like, are are there any like key takeaways from that that like sort of uh, influence you at all? Definitely, like, kind of shitting on it, but overall, though, I I did leave with uh, you know more profound kind of way of thinking about things in which it's. Rather than looking at something like at its surface level, I just, you know, want to break it down mentally. And I guess that kind of lent it <clears throat> for me and my, you know, future endeavors with like film, I'd say. Is, are there, um, sorry, one last question. I know I'm asking a bunch, but I'm just right. interested. <laughs> um, cause, uh, are there any like key philosophers that, um, struck a chord with you at all? say Descartes uh or Descartes I don't know how, how I want to go pronounce it I mean I only took it for like a year but uh yeah he I can't pull a direct quote but he just kind of looked more at the self and just the inner workings of the mind like you know who am I who are we as you know people and I'm just looking and yourself a lot more deeper than like like I said earlier, like the surface level and such. And so I'd say him. Cool. Well, um, speaking of film, I wanted to ask you yet another question about Gattaca, because that's the film that we're obviously like gonna be discussing today. Um what about this film stood out to you for when you're like, okay, I have to pick a film out for everybody to watch. I'm gonna pick this one. Like what 
What was a some sort of the background that went into your choosing of this film? Well, visually, it's pretty stunning, and looking at it when I when I first watched it way back when, I was just impressed by also the uh, the soundtrack. Uh, blank on the name of who composed it, but just at itself just stood out for me because I remember after the film, I just went home, looked it up like the soundtrack, and would just go hours and hours you know listening to that and and also of course ethan hawk i mean who doesn't love him so it's probably pretty good uh right there yeah so visuals the music behind it and the talent i'd say kind of led to my choice for it and uh this was something that we talked about before we started recording but uh you mentioned that you first saw this film in eighth grade um what what was that like uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty, uh, then like my eighth grade class, you know, bless my classmates, but literally like no one paid attention, um, <laughs> including me, uh, twins. But then my teacher just on an off day was like, you know what, let's watch Gattaca. I really like it. Um, no one like gave a crap, but me, I was just like, wow. Like, it's just a story in which, you know, despite <clears throat> hard set circumstances, if you just kind of truly just believe yourself, have enough grit and grind, you can just do what you said to do. So I really, yeah, like inspired me in, in a way. And yeah, I really liked it then. So I, I want to open this up a bit more um, to everybody else. Uh, Pat and Tyler, are there any films that are kind of similar like this, like, like this uh, for you that you came across like in your younger days, like in school? that sort of like really left an impact on you. Yeah, I always uh, bring this one up because it's like a foundational Ooh. memory. But uh, Ghost, <clears throat> Ghost in the Shell. I remember being a Hollywood video. So I'm old enough. I'm an old man. And I remember renting VHSs and always seeing the Ghost in the Shell cover. And I wanted to rent it, but I was like eight. So I obviously couldn't. Because it's like a rated R movie. And it's anime, and there's like a naked lady on the cover. But uh, when we got cable later on, I think also in junior high, we had a we had a channel called the Ovation Channel. I think some cable providers still have it. It was like a big arts channel, like theater productions, concerts, and then like films. And one month they're doing like a month of animation, and uh, by chance I caught Ghost in the Shell like starting on that channel, and I remember being blown away by it. And then I think the next film they showed after that was like uh, Dante's Inferno, where the whole film was like paper puppets. And I remember like both both films really standing out for being like out there compared to like my normal childhood and teenage experience of films being more conventional, like Star Wars or something like that. See a film like see this fully animated film with like adult themes instead of spirited away. And then to see a whole film that's on miniature sets where every actor is like literally just a piece of paper dancing around for like two hours really changed my uh, perspective on film as a whole. I would say I think what really got me into films and wanted me to go to school for film. Um, I don't know. I can't pinpoint an exact movie, but I want to say Goodfellas definitely had a big impact. Um, 
all those Scorsese films, but especially Goodfellas, just that story. Like, you know, everybody, you know exactly how it's going to end, but just the journey there is, is so fun. And the cinematography, the acting, like the iconic acting, I think is just what drew me in. Um, I'm trying to think of something else, like younger. I still think it's cool the first movie I ever saw in theaters was The Fifth Element. Oh, <laughs> top tier. Although, like, <laughs> I really don't remember that experience, like, watching the movie at all. Like, I, I remember being there, but I don't remember the movie at all or watching the movie at all. I think um, first cool uh, theater experience, like, just to bounce off of what you just said, Tyler, um, for me was probably Lord of the Rings Two Towers. I saw that when I was Ooh. really young. In Did you theaters. go to like the midnight show? No, no. I I went in during like the middle of the day at like a mall theater with my aunt and cousin. Because <laughs> I was like really young at the time. But um, I just remember like seeing like a lot of like the forest imagery and was just like just fell in love with it. And I that was probably the last time that I saw that movie, to be honest. Um, at least all the way through. Um, but uh, something that I saw in class, I want to say it was um, Au Revoir Les Enfants. Um, that was a that and a, the pianist were two films that I saw in class that really stood out to me. Um, aside from that, like another school mandated thing or required thing that I ended up really enjoying was uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I remember my brother actually uh, kept his copy, like the school library's copy at home, and like we were like being charged for it, and then eventually it was just declared as lost. So I ended up uh, reading the entire book before the book was even like required to be read like months in advance because I, I just fell in love with it so much. Um, but as far as like the, one of the films that got me into filmmaking was a uh, old boy. Uh, when I saw that in high school, I immediately used one of the quotes as my senior quote. Um, and I'm, I started training like Ode Sue. I was punching a wooden board in my bedroom <laughs> and my knuckles were like, they felt like rubbery after a certain point. And I'm like, okay, I got to stop doing this. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't very, very realistic. <laughs> like I just got splinters. That's all I got. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But um, it's it's really cool, Chris, to hear that uh, Gattaca, like, left such a, a strong inf or a strong impact on you when, when you were younger. Because, you know, it's like I I imagine being like a teacher, like somebody who's like a few generations outside of the one that they're teaching, and showing them like a a piece of media that, you know, stayed with them, can be a bit, uh, daunting. Um. I remember in a music appreciation class for eighth grade, uh, I had like this 45 or like 50 year old guy named Mr. Carroll, Carroll who showed us Black Sabbath. Um, he showed us War Pigs um, and had us like discuss the song. And at the time, like nobody else in the, in the class or maybe not that many people were into it. But ever since I found out about them, 
from that day, I it just sent me down the rabbit hole. So it's it's cool to hear about like those kinds of experiences. Oh yeah, L lovely butterfly effects, honestly. Mhm, mm I I agree. And um, speaking more on Gattaca, um, what were some of what was like everybody's initial impressions after watching the film? Uh, I mean, I'd go. So, my this is like my fourth or fifth time watching it, but just every time, just <clears throat> the well, first of all, how young Ethan Hawke and Jude Law are. I love them. Just them dudes and their chemistry straight up. Yeah, it was was really fun to watch on screen for me and. Also, just the set pieces, I was, because this is around the time when, when, when computer graphics weren't really, like, too hot, and only, like, the, the movies with, like, the absolute biggest budgets, you know, could have, could pull it off. So this movie just kind of relied on, I think it, it took major, uh, like, it did it, like, it rented out architectures out there. I, I don't know what part of the Midwest, but. Yeah, it just looked very beautiful. Yeah, I wanted to. I want to hop on that. I love uh, that. Was probably one of the big takeaways too, is the uh, the art design, where it's it's a bit brutalist, and then also like this Art Deco in ways, like the the clothes and some of the fashion. I think like the fancy places are Art Deco, but like. You know, the imposing structures of this society are, I think it's brutalist is the word for that architecture. Like the smooth cement surfaces, functional shapes and all that. And it feels like a lost art nowadays that, uh, yeah, because now you can just do a CGI landscape. And then I don't know what it is, but when they have, you have access to CGI, you make it more grand typically and then you get like spiraling buildings and all this fancy you know stuff for more this is more like you said they probably went on locations and these were probably like these probably are famous locations like the, for the architecture alone they're probably get tourists we had to see the film set there it's like a refreshing thing that a lot of films nowadays it feels like they're lacking and i really like that about this Yeah, for this viewing experience for me, I um, was talking about it a bit before the podcast started. I originally, you know, I've, I've always heard of Gattaca uh, during, like, you know, just in, like, through different circles and stuff, especially in, like, sci-fi films, of course. Um, it's been on my watch list forever. Um, I just haven't ever gotten around to it for some reason or another. Um so I've sort of like built up an idea of what this film is going to be about uh, based on the lack of like information that I have. And to me, I was like, oh, this movie's going to like, it's going to be about this massive like empire named Gattaca that, you know, set in like intergalactic like dimensions and everything like that. And all these like crazy things, like maybe it's based on like genetics, I don't know, or like Maybe there's like some virus that like gets spread out in the universe or something like that. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh my God, they don't even go to space in this. <laughs> yeah. 
And that was that was really that was a very refreshing experience for me. Um because I I'd never seen the trailer before. I'd never even read the synopsis of it before. I just uh it's pure purely at face value and um I really enjoyed the sort of crushing atmosphere that it has um especially based around genetic sequencing where people don't even take the time to ask you questions anymore it's purely just based on readouts um and it's <laughs> it feels so distanced and i wasn't prepared for the for that while i was viewing it and it made it all the more enjoyable for me in the end Um, well, I'm basically fresh out the theater from this movie. Um, when I, when I turned it on, I feel like I just immediately was sucked in. Like I was immediately totally invested. Um, and yeah, just at, at the end of it, I felt like it was just, I don't know, just a really like I just thought like it was just a good sci-fi movie that I really enjoyed. Like I was kind of surprised, um, but it but it wasn't, I guess, like your typical type of sci-fi movie. Like there was no like violence or anything, but I was still getting thriller vibes, and my heart was pumping. And yeah, like Chris said, uh, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, I think both were great. And I, I did like the commentary on, you know, these elite genes and what you can do with the odds stacked up against you and percentages, probabilities, all this, all that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the movie. And to give a little bit more details on the film, uh, it was created in 1997, directed by Andrew Nichol. And here is the synopsis for it. In a future society in the era of indefinite eugenics, humans are set on a life course depending on their DNA. Young Vincent Freeman is born with a condition that would prevent him from space travel, yet is determined to infiltrate the Gattaca space program. And one other thing that um, really stood out to me about this film was how it feels entirely like a neo-noir in some cases as well. Um, you have sort of the, you know, Uma Thurman's, Thurman's character has like this sort of a femme fatale trope that kind of gets subverted in a way, uh, in a really unique way. And, you know, you have Ethan Hawke posing as uh, Jude Law's character, as uh, Jerome. And it you know you have like the wispy smoke of the atmosphere and like everything just feels very like distanced and i don't know i i loved that aspect i i wasn't prepared to have it be like a neo-noir either but um with that said uh should we move on to ratings i'm down yeah. cool so uh I'd say for me, completely unbiased, but 4.5 out of 5. 
What are uh, some of the things that make it a 4.5 out of 5 for you compared to, you know, other other movies? Well, the story, like what? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the story is very compelling. You know, you got this guy growing up in this future in which he just has no control of his fate. You know, he's born a god child and already then it just makes his life a lot harder having a lot of pre-existing conditions and then alongside you know having a brother born being the perfect son um and that story of itself and you know the lengths he'd go to achieve his dream of going into space is very nice and visually too uh looks looked beautiful the movie uh it played heavily with uh yellow and green hues and employed them very well throughout and also the talent itself like i just love every person and you know uma thurman jude law ethan hawk and also alan arkin as one of the detectives and i always love seeing that guy throughout so and the soundtrack too very very beautiful it makes you tear up very much so i'm gonna give it a Oh sorry. Oh sorry. No, I was gonna just say yeah. That's that's why I'm four point five out of five. Go on. Uh, I'll give it a three point seven five. I like a lot of the uh, topics the film brings up, as well as what you mentioned, Chris. I love the. Uh, I I love, I love that I saw the trailer and it like uh, Kevin mentioned. I was expecting like an authoritarian sci-fi like equilibrium kind of environment where like if you're not the right you know if you're not an engineered human you you get put to death and it's about like Ethan Hawke surviving but it's refreshing that it's not that because this film has like a completely unique take where it's kind of like a has like a catch me if you can feeling with Ethan Hawke's character like he's not facing life or death risks but his risk is to, to live the life he wants to live that's as well as like punishment for the stuff he's done if he gets caught, but his motivation is pure. Like I want to live this way. I want to achieve my dreams. And then yeah, the backdrop of the world and its overdetermined nature is a good contrast with his motivation. Where like yeah, you, you can be genetically sequenced and everything's mapped out for you. So the character, his motivations are perfect. And then yeah, I just love the uh, art design and the interior design in the film and. Of course, the talent. And what's a big jump out? Uh, how poignant this film is going to be. Probably in the next 10, 20 years. <laughs> so put, on, put on my conspiracy theory hat a little bit. Uh, if you look into current wealthy people, especially in the tech sector, there's a big emphasis on, uh, you know, genetic, you know, concepts. I... Uh, I heard somewhere there's like an article about a couple in the Bay Area who's like tech people, so rich, you know, work for whatever companies. But yeah, they're they're committed to have 10 kids together and then their goals for their 10 kids to have 10 kids and their 10 kids to have 10 kids. as like a, you know, like a modern Genghis Khan situation because they believe that their genetics are superior and it's like a altruistic move by them to do that. And yeah, and then, you know, obviously, like, there's uh, the Elon Musk aspect for, I think he has like, Ooh, that's eight what kids. I was about to say. Yeah, he has eight kids, I think, currently. 
Eight. And then, yeah, Grind. I think he has eight, yeah. Wow. From different mothers. I heard one of them, like, literally disowned um, Ethan, Elon Musk as, as their dad. I think yeah. he has a kid with, like, one of the high-up girls at Tesla. Like, probably. No some GM or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Grimes. They're, they, they, I like Grimes says their kid is Paul Atreides. Oh, boy. <laughs> Goodness. for being the leader of men. So, yeah, but... And then obviously, you know, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> he was doing some insane, you know, he's going to MIT. No, he's going to MIT college and there's like, you know, he was asking scientists like a loser about like preserving his brain. Uh, can you put my brain in a robot? What about my, what about my genetics? Could you like, can you freeze my genetics and create kids after I'm long dead and stuff like that? Like you're a real evil science fiction stuff that like kind of makes this film seem like a more ideal world to the one we're probably going to get but yeah it's definitely it's it has kind of like the matrix vibes for me now in hindsight where it's it came out late 90s and it's it has a very topical and prescient you know concept about you know the future we're heading towards i i definitely agree with that pat um and I'm also going to piggyback off that same exact score uh, of 3.75. I feel like this is one of those films for me where the more I watch it, the more I will come to love it. That's not to say that I don't love it right now because I really enjoyed watching this movie. It threw me for a loop because um, I love um, films that are heavy into world building like i i'm not saying that like i need that for every film but when they do that incredibly well like this film does it really makes it all the more memorable and immersive for me um even down to the ways that um you know there's like a set regimen for uh for vincent's character um it was it was mentioned by chris that um uh Vincent is what's known as a godchild. That is somebody who, whose parents did not interfere with uh, sequencing their genes to create a superior individual. You know, somebody. You know, because one of the primary um, uh, mortality, um, or one of the uh, primary modes of death in in this film is centered around the idea of having weak hearts, basically. And, um, you know, those who have a heart, who are destined for heart failure are going to die much, much, much younger, um, probably around the age of 30, I'd say, for uh, Vincent's character in case. And um, they went ahead and had him, you know, the way he was. And I believe that they're called um, in, in, inbreeds or something. Um, it's like a derogatory term that... Invalid. Oh, invalids. Yes. Um, uh, and that's what a lot of these, um, you know, the upper echelons of society, they look down on these individuals and these individuals can't, uh, they can never go to space. They can never um, hold high positions of power because they'll basically die. Like they have a death sentence. They, they know how long they're going to live for and what they will die from based off of their entire sequencing. And at any given point, anybody could take any form of like uh, DNA, whether it's, you know, saliva from a cup, a hair from your head, a nail from your finger, 
anything. They could get it taken and get it traced and see your entire genetic makeup. And basically, it's like the ultimate form of stalking, you know, of uh, online stalking that we have now. Um, which I thought, for being a film from 1997, that is insane to see these concepts so well-developed and not too complex uh, to understand, like, oh, how are they doing this? Oh, they're literally just putting it inside of something that deconstructs DNA. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Like, that sort of thing. Um, and and I, I, I really enjoyed a lot of the interpersonal relationships that take place in this film, whether it's between Vincent or the uh, other individual that he is posing as to get into uh, this space program of his dreams, whose name is Jerome, who is uh, a handicapped individual who was basically always supposed to be second best. You know, like he he's one of the the highest tier individuals that these scientists could like ever create. Like everybody looks up to him. He's like one of the core idealistic individuals to be. Um, but he had an accident and he is basically considered, you know, around the same, uh, he, he, he was, he was demoted to basically around the same layer as, uh, invalids are in this society. So that's why he's having, um, he's selling his body basically and his identity to Vincent to pose as him to get into this program. Um, I love the grounded nature of that story. It feels entirely believable to me. And I love the relationship between uh, Vincent and his brother. Um, Cause his brother was the product of uh, superior breeding and like the visuals, um, there's a lot of cool stuff that they did um, visually as well as sonically that I'm looking forward to talking about. But yeah, I really enjoyed this it, this movie. What was your rating, Kevin? Oh, it was a 3.75. Nice. I'll just go quick so we can go into spoilers. I'll give it a 4 out of 5. Um... Kevin, you hit on a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk about, just like how kind of similar these days, how we're just being watched from every every camera, our phones, everything, and just how they were kind of ahead of their time with this. And yeah, I also just wanted to say, I feel like this movie looked like very future, like very futuristic, if that makes sense. Like it holds up really well in 97. Like you, I think it'll hold up well for a long time, just because of the, the suits and the cleanly, the, the cleanly nature of all the buildings, the robotic look. But uh, yeah, I'll give it a four out of five because I really enjoyed this movie. And with that said, uh, this film, if you're interested in watching it, you can rent it online if you want. You can do so on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, or YouTube, or you can buy the film. Um, but we're going to go ahead and keep this going on into spoilers now. Call me Eugene. My middle name. If you're going to be Jerome, you better start getting used to it. 
Um, so yeah, I want to open it up. Major spoiler, or not major, but um, just the dynamic between Vincent and his brother Anton. Uh, right, straight, straight away, right when Vince is born, and you already hear about his birth defects and stuff like that. Uh, his mother wants to name him Anton, but his dad's like, no, 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 you know, call him Vincent Anton, and straight away you just feel bad for the kid. You know, simple scrape on the knee can lead him to, you know, death, and not even that the preschool wants him, and uh, and also like this is like already like towards the end of the film, but like once you find out though, Anton's the police detective. He just immediately like just starts sounding like their parents, like Vincent. You can't do this. This is fraud. This is this and that, and just their dynamic is just I really love it. That's a really good catch on. Um, I I completely forgot that they were planning on naming Vincent Anton originally, and then it was the father who was way against it in the beginning. And it makes it all the more uncanny and unsettling seeing, you know, the four different um, samples that they have to choose from. And it feels so weird referring to, to it as samples because it's like those are literally like any any one of those cells can go on to become a fully developed human being. And they're just, you know, oh, here we have two two different women to choose from. Uh, two different males to choose from like oh well we want a boy okay and then they just immediately like cut out those two other cells um it, it feels like a like an rpg simulator in a way like <laughs> and it, it feels like so distanced and it's like okay i get that like that's how it works here but to me it's like you know, being a part of like the times where it's like, oh, do you have control over that? Like, can you determine, um, you know, of course, like the gender as well as like the sexuality or like any of like other DNAs, like, or any other choices when it comes into DNA? Like, oh, I want them to be like six foot two. Um, I want them to have like uh, brown hair, blue eyes, whatever. Uh, you could you could just plug in any number of presets and then boom you have your ideal child um to me that is so strange and um i love the way that they handled showing all of uh all of that in the beginning and because like you said chris they do a very good job of setting up vincent to be this sort of uh underdog to begin with Mm-hmm. he's uh right, yeah no very very uh you, you just feel for him you know in, in his struggle and you really just wanted to succeed at that point because i think the year is worth of commitment in which he's just gotta all right i gotta use another guy's blood another guy's pee i gotta you know I'll, he's the prime murder suspect okay now shit now i gotta get through this and all in the week before the launch is just stressful i could imagine yeah because this is a multi-year journey that vincent has been on um we see like in the beginning uh his you know the first um arc that he has with his brother anton where they're always in competition with each other and it's like a recurring motif throughout the entire film is, you know, them, you know, you have the ideal human form, one where it's free of any form of flaws, and then you have the imperfect form, the one that is always struggling against its limitations. And here they are uh, both 
you know, playing a game of chicken out in the sea, seeing who swims back to shore first. And we see Vincent losing time and time and time and time and time again until one day he finally beats Anton. Uh, and he ends up having to save Anton from drowning. Um, and then once they return home, Vincent sort of disowns his family and goes his own way, never to be heard from again. And then that's sort of where we, uh, that's where we, uh, find Vincent in his main journey is infiltrating or not even infiltrating, but, um, he's already, he's already in by the time that we see him in Gattaca. He has, uh, uh, you know, he's doing all the things that he needs to do in order to, uh, not be discovered. And then that's when we sort of get the backstory on him and Jerome, the individual that he's impersonating. And like, I really like the, uh, how, uh, you know, the overdetermined aspects of it, but like, uh, to be a astronaut, practically like, uh, Vincent does all the studying. He's like, he's, he's, he's meeting every parameter, but he still has to record, uh, Jerome's heartbeat. On like a 20 minute recording on like a a palpitation whatever machine uh for like the the gadaga's uh like fitness exams i don't know if they're daily or weekly or whatever but yeah like it's like something completely out of his control where he has to run for like 20 minutes straight or whatever and like uh the strength of vincent's like keep it composed like make it look easy he's like ha you know he's like still faced yeah, not breathing heavy badass. And he's like running, and like the second the recording runs out, like it shows his real heartbeat for a second, and it's like it's pounding. <laughs> and he gets off, and he's like, "Okay, I'm done." And then he goes, and then it cuts like him in the locker room, like almost dying. <laughs> and it's just like it must it, for Jerome it was probably easy because like whatever cardiovascular talents his sequencing had, had given him, just like there's certain people who are superior athletes because of just coincidence. But like you know. It's really, yeah, it was a great little bit to show, like, why wouldn't they allow him? He's so qualified. Like, he's just as smart. He he, he, he loves it. He has the passion. And it's like, oh, it's because they have the weird, uh, pram the weird fascination with, you know, absolutely superior in every way. Or, like, his part or his, he could run the, he could run as much as Jerome probably could, but not as easily or as long. But he could still do 20 minutes, which is probably more than you need to be in space. But yeah, there's yeah, it's, I just love that little bit. It really, it really brought like the struggle down the earth, outside of being like you know deception and how he yeah. has to, like it's like willpower and like sleight of hand stuff. It's also just like pure. I love this, you know. the scene too between him and Uma Thurman when he's like, "I'm ten thousand beats past" or whatever, fucking, mm -hmm. what he's supposed to be at because of his problems. Yeah, yeah I really yeah. enjoyed that. It just like makes you, it makes you like feel good. It's a, it's a good motif that they're like, oh, his heart isn't, you know, he has, he's gonna, his heart isn't gonna last long enough, or it's not gonna last very long because of his whatever code, the our sequencing says. But the whole point of the film is, he has enough heart to deceive them all and get the space. Like there, there were the scene in which yep. he first saved Anton. Uh, 
he was like, that's the... That action of saving his own brother was just what he needed to just keep pursuing his goal of, you know, going to space. And from then on, he just defied the odds. And, and to what Tyler was saying with that 10,000 beats overdue thing, um, yeah, he was saying it to Uma when, when she was uh, just conflicted with, all right, I've been believing this man who I thought he was, but he's someone else. But he's like, no, I'm still me. I'm still uh, Jerome. I just... He just had to just overcome it all, basically. And, yeah. Yeah, he was like, I empathize with you, because she had heart problems too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they didn't let her go yeah. to go to space due to her heart defects, but she was good enough to just be, you know, on the ground floor, I guess. Yeah, I found that um, detail to be... It, it drew me in even more uh, because it's you, not only do you get the perspective of somebody who's like one of, considered to be like one of the lowest rungs of the societal ladder. And then that compared to nearly everybody who's a part of Gattaca, uh, they're, of course, like easily on the higher rungs. But here we have this little detail that's admitted by Irene, Uma Thurman's character where she has a bit of a heart-to-heart -heart with uh, Vincent, who is in disguise as Jerome, basically saying, oh, well, because uh, Vincent is basically letting her know that, you know, he is interested in, in her, and she offers up a hair on her scalp to have uh, Vincent sequence her because she went around his back to sequence him. But... Uh, prior to that, Vincent had made sure to leave a hair of Jerome's behind to sort of like, you know, always stay on top of it in case anybody tries to sequence him. So once that's covered and she, you know, has that suspicion quelled, she sort of feels bad about that and opens up saying, hey, you know, you could have a, uh, my hair follicle to have me sequenced. If you're still interested in me, uh, that's great. But if not, that's totally understandable. Um, and then Vincent just sort of, uh, lets the, the hair, you know, as he says, uh, the wind took it or something like that. Um, I find that to be like such a, a beautiful moment of just a human being accepting the unknown. Cause that's, uh, one of the, one of the main quotes that it starts off with is like from Ecclesiastes about that. And then that's like a recurring, uh, bit of how human beings are so afraid of the unknown that they, uh, you know, want to dispel any form of like notion of it in order to make significant progress, you know, to, to be an ultimate form of control. But then here we have Vincent sort of going behind uh, Irene's back, you know, for obviously for good reason, but at the same time, that's like a form of manipulation obviously but um i i found that uh to be endearing because irene in spite of um you know doing this sort of thing she opens up saying yeah well you know i i'm good enough to be in gattaca but i'm not good enough to go up to space so really like the it's sort of like that grass is always greener on the other side kind of idea
Man, also the scene where Jude Law crawls up the stairs. Oh yeah. And then the um Anton is interviewing him. Oh man, my heart was just pumping. No, that that scene was very sweet. <laughs> Immediately, like Jude's like, I oh, know, um, uh, Vincent calls him. He's like, "You got to be me for a day." He's like, "All right," and just just plops himself down immediately. Just <laughs> the hardest climb of his life, just going up there. And and I love the way um, Jude Law's character is just so like just sarcastic and 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 the way when when Vincent gets there and it's revealed to Irene that. Like oh these are just two separate people, Vincent's like how'd you get up here and, and then and then, uh, Jerome or Eugene is like oh I could always walk you know. <laughs> I I really like uh, yeah the the genuine connection they have, as well as uh, in this film it seems like uh, Vincent's like pure heart, his pure motivation. I felt like there's a great little like uh you know, critique of how how this uh, system that's clearly unjust and an allegory for racism, especially at the start, uh, can be conquered. And it's through, you know, the pure the pureness of Vincent's character in that, you know, he's just he's not hurting anyone. He's just he's in the pursuit of his passion, his dream. And it feels like, you know, that sticks with Jerome who uh, lost his motivation because of the uh, looming pressure of meeting expectations because of like how, you know, how the genetic sequence on paper said he was supposed to be the best at everything. He has that silver, silver medal that really like haunts him. Yeah. That like is a constant reminder. That, like, yeah, you couldn't, he's not the best. He's supposed to be the best, but he's obviously something's wrong with him. Because, uh, yeah, you got silver. And then, you know, Vincent comes along and shows that, you know, it's not about your genetic sequence. It's about the heart you have. And, yeah, Jerome kind of becomes a part of Vincent's journey, which is really believable because he seems aimless at the first introduction. And then they seem like they become friends. And then, you know, they're kind of like surrogate brothers where uh, Vincent's mission becomes Jerome, Jerome's mission. Like, sure, he's living comfortably, but especially towards the end of the film, it's kind of revealed that, you know, once he once he helped Vincent achieve his goal, you know, he's, he was ready to call it quits. Tragic. And then, yeah. And then the other I parallel know. to the ignition. I thought that was a bit much. I thought like he could like, you know, like <laughs> go and live I'm... on his own. But I get it for like thematically. Um, the, the way it showed him like burning himself or no, uh, the way it matched cut when he was going to turn on the, the self narration oh. and then it just went from the rocket blast. Pff, I was like, no way. And also the, the I like the parallel in which when you're kind of seeing his burning corpse, you get a, like a clear sight of like the metal and it's two people swimming along each other signifying second place, but it's also parallel to Vincent and Anton's uh, final swim with each other. And found that very nice. Oh, that match yeah. cut was haunting. Oh, yeah, I I definitely agree, uh, Pat. I I felt the same way. Where um, I was like, oh man, they they really did him dirty like that. Uh, I, like, I guess he was ready. I thought it was, yeah. I, I I remember thinking it was like brutal. Like oh man, like I was he like on pills or something to numb the pain, or is he just you know maybe 
maybe you had the the pure spirit to with with to uh you know, go through that yeah. yeah like and i think that that's the sign of a great ending is something that can you know uh conjure up such thought provoking ambivalence where it's like I, on one hand like i i really do love that entire ending where you know here uh or that final conversation that jerome has with uh with vincent where he's like yeah now now you finally have me you know i lent you my body but you lent me your dream and now great line uh jerome yeah and and now jerome will be here whenever you need them uh when you get back and you know he basically gave him like several lifetimes worth of like blood samples and urine samples and every other form of thing that they were doing you know meticulously each day of um ensuring that vincent is jerome um at least in a work setting um and basically like dissolving his identity like that's got to be so tragic to undergo as an individual like where you know you're just a, a husk of your former self and you can't really you can't sprout out sprout up new life despite your prior your uh, prior setbacks like to me it's like a very cautionary tale of man i never want to be somebody like jerome because to me that is just so i mean it's great that he was able to help vincent like his his life did not go to waste like i want to be very clear of that but at the same time i just feel so much pain for jerome as an individual who can't find the will to live anymore you know once he's you know basically completed his task of helping vincent like he was saying oh yeah you know i'm gonna do i'm gonna be just like you i'm gonna go traveling it's like no he incinerates himself and then he jerome is no more jerome vincent is now jerome and any semblance of jerome one is is gone or eugene i should say because that's what he goes by his his middle name is eugene um but i i loved eugene's character so much he, he was probably my favorite character in the entire film pretty good and then i really yeah. like the uh talk of the doctor another moment where the doctor hints that he knew uh, oh yeah mom? at the end like like yeah. guy um what was it uh, guys, right-handed people use they'll use their left. Yeah, hand. <laughs> they'll use it with their right. But, um, well, he's like, bro, I've known forever. Conversation he had, where like the doctor, I think the doctor wanted to admit that he knew Jerome was Vincent way earlier. He just didn't have it. He's like, oh, did I ever tell you about my kid? But then towards the end, he finally gets to say it, and basically, he's just implying like, yeah, Vincent, I'm proud of you. My kid is just like you. He's uh, wants to pursue things, but, you know, due to his pre-existing conditions, he's not able to. So that moment when Vincent is just surprised of, oh, shit, a sudden pee test, um, caught, this is over. Doctor's like, eh, you know, screw it. You've done enough. You've pursued enough. Just go ahead, go to space in your suit and tie for some reason. You gotta do business in space. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the wardrobe was very, was yeah. very pretty. I gotta say too. And yeah, I, I took that scene and all the characters, like the brother, uh, Uma Thurman's character, 
and the doctor. And then I, you know, Jerome left all the samples behind, but like I have like a strong feeling that like after the mission or on the mission or whenever, it's just gonna come out. And you know, Vincent seems like yeah, I I went to Titan. I you know I was qualified for the mission. Despite my, despite my inferior genes, and then like the doctor's talking about his son, and how it's you know, this this yeah. persona that Vincent is inhabiting is like a big inspiration for this doctor's son. So you know you're very inspiring, Jerome. But the doctor knows that he's saying no, Vincent. You're very inspiring that you're doing this despite our systems as a society that are designed to not allow you to do this and hold you back. You're like going above and beyond the prove that, you know, not only can you do that, you can also subvert the very system itself to really open people's eyes to the whole injustice of the system. And then, you know, I, I feel like he's not going to be Jerome when he comes back, if he even makes it. Cause again, the, the trip to Titan also feels kind of like a, like a, like a, like a Norse funeral or something. Yeah. Being put on the ship. The, the, the line the line it. that he tells Anton is like, I never save anything for the swim back. It's like, Vincent may as well like die in space, but he doesn't care, you know? He finally made it. That's his goal. Which I really like that one part. Uh, wait. Yeah, I like that tie back to that line. Did you guys... Knocking my score. Wait, sorry? I'm going to four. I'm knocking my score up to four out of five. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. I like the talk around. <laughs> I, I even missed a lot of stuff that we're talking about now. Did you guys like when I when I've seen Gattaca my two previous times, uh Vincent and Anton, like it's not explicitly said that like, oh yeah, that detective is um Anton. Like uh, the name's not even set up until like the very end. Like the first like when I saw it with my brother, he's like, What? That detective was Anton the entire time? Or and then recently with my girlfriend, she's like, Oh, that that's Anton, right? Like did you guys clock it that that was uh, his brother, or did you guys just think, oh, it's just you know, random detective with Alan Arkin? I had a feeling that it was uh, Anton, especially because every time uh, the detective, the one who was actually on track with the case, brought up some refut irrefutable evidence or like a new lead to like check out the. Uh, the director or the the main detective that being anton as we come to find out would always try to find a way to side skirt him or sort of put him in his place and be like no we're gonna we're gonna go to this area to, to look for invalids we we don't we aren't gonna do a full sweep of gattaca again we aren't gonna waste their time like all this other stuff um and oh yeah it wasn't mentioned before but the the whole inv the whole investigation opens up because the director of uh, Gattaca was murdered, and it was very well known amongst everybody that um, this director was heavily against going to Titan, like for this specific mission. And, um, you know, that, but then there's also comments made where, you know, the entire department's better off because the director wasn't well loved. So, um, with this investigation, Anton comes in as like the the head investigator while also having detectives on the side. But um, yeah, I, I had a feeling that um, his character was sort of willing to side skirt the entire due process of like how they usually, you know, handle things like the modus operandi 
um, in order to act on this hunch that he has about this person being Vincent. Because, you know, he sees, oh, who's this old janitor that used to work here that we now have DNA of? Huh, it's Vincent. <laughs> like, and then he's like trying to find this person who's posing as Jerome, as we come to find out. Well, what, what did you uh, both think, Pat and Tyler? He was just sympathetic towards the end. He was like, I, I thought he was more like on into catching the killer. But then, like, as things progressed, he became more fascinated with how this person's able to pretend to be Jerome. And then I was, yeah, I was pretty surprised when it was his brother. I was like, oh, damn, I did not, uh, I did not fully piece that together. I thought it was just a guy. I thought it was just like a, a genetically designed, like, hyper competent detective who's like, you know, kind of trying to reconcile, like, how are you able to subvert us catching you? And then I hit that same person coming around to like, oh, it's not all about genes, I guess. And that was an even better surprise. Or, you know, when it was revealed, it was like, oh, that's it's perfect. See, I had a I had a feeling for sure that the detective was his brother. Uh like when he was looking at on the TV of the the two different ID photos of Vincent and Jerome. So yeah, I think he was more just obsessed with finding out if it was actually his brother, if it was Vincent, rather than the killer. Because it was an invalid the whole time, right? So he wanted to, Anton wanted to search outside of the building to possibly try and find his, to find Vincent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it, it came as a shock to him too, because... When Anton was speaking about Vincent, he didn't explicitly say he was his brother, but he's like, yeah, this is invalid. He's uh, no living relative. So even he's surprised at like, wow, my brother who long since abandoned our family is still alive. He should have been dead, you know, like years ago. Like, how is he still kicking it? And of all places in Gattaca, which, which is very, very hard to, you know, live a lie there. One of the, um, the things that I greatly enjoyed about uh the set design was the way it handled showcasing the latest and greatest technology of this uh world but also showing the contradictory nature of its disposableness um or where it sort of sends all of its resources to because for instance we have you know all of this money being like funneled into you know uh these uh, basically human genetic engineering, um, but also there is enough money to fix these failing LCD screens <laughs> for pulling up people's identities. <laughs> for real. Like, I, I love that contradictory nature because to me that feels, it's like, yeah, that's how it would be. It's like, that's how it is in like a crumbling capitalistic hellscape, basically. It's like all the money's going to the, to the programs to, you know, create, like, more uh, productive societies and to, you know, like, basically keep raking in whatever resources that they're after. But, of course, like, with that, there's a cost. The cost means that you don't get to um, upgrade or, um, or basically uh, renovate any sort of existing technology that is in need of repair. 
really like the uh they have the teslas too <laughs> yeah the plug-in dude yeah that's cool and they even had the sound if you heard it when it was driving it even kind of had like i don't know if you've heard a tesla driving it's not... but it's like that it's like yeah, that, not... that whoosh sound they're not gas cars like when he has to cross the road they're all making like slightly different electronic noises yeah well, that scene was was great with him, like, crossing. Like, every time it kind of went to, like, his very blurred vision, the soundtrack was, was like, yeah. just, like, just blaring, just heightening the tension. The soundtrack was super good right there. Very. And uh, I don't know if you guys caught it, too, but, like, mainly if, like, a Breaking Bad fan, but Dean Norris, the guy who plays Hank, was the guy that was checking Jude Law. Saying like, oh, um, you know, you're at Gattaca. Why are you crippled? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not crippled. I hurt my leg in training. Like that dude, right? Was was a skinny Dean Norris, which is wild. Yeah, I, I noticed yeah. that. I was like, oh shoot, look, it's Hank. <laughs> I feel like this um, movie definitely inspired uh, Severance a little bit too. The TV show. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you've seen it. Love Severance. But I was I definitely getting a lot of like, by or. Now I'm getting Gattaca vibes and Severance. <laughs> the original. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, oh, sorry, Kevin. No, you're good. Oh no, no, go go for it. Go for it, Tyler. No, no, no. You're, I was just gonna say, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I, I was just gonna um, piggyback off of what you were saying, where with uh, the the references to Severance, it's like, yeah, there's like so many different methods that are put in place to basically create this uh cookie cutter mold of what an individual should be and anything that strays outside of it it's supposed to go to the wayside basically and i i love like the uh the dynamic between severance and gattaca now that i'm like thinking about those two because Even, like, the colors and everything too a little bit yeah right like and the um, art design every i mean they're both set in that office style so it's kind of already similar but but yeah uh no exactly what you're saying like everything like even the buildings like it was mentioned earlier these buildings are very clean and like sterile and gattaca and it's like very much the same inside of um the corporation inside of severance like everything is very uh like you you'd be very hard pressed to find any form of like dirt anywhere but then you have all of these like forms of like aging technology that people have to rely upon because they don't have like the resources to like upgrade for some reason. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, why don't they? It's like, oh, because, you know, you have X, Y and Z. Like, that's what that's where everything's going into. And um, with characters like uh, like Vincent and the is it Ben? No, no. <laughs> No, I forget the main character of Severance's name. His name's like um, oh, yeah, it, it's a, it's escaping I can't me. But um, they they both have like a similar dynamic where they have like this very underdog uh, approach, but they have it, it isn't about like what's on about how they're like being um, they're viewed topically so to speak, but it's like about like the fire within them that that is capable of like out outliving everyone else's if they choose to utilize it properly you know but uh, i i like that uh what you were saying pat about you know um about the ending of this film about it being very reminiscent of like a funeral in a way 
to where the film is over. Like, it, it cannot exist past this point in time because no matter if Vincent gets found out on the space station or if he comes back, he can no longer be Jerome. That wouldn't be Gattaca anymore. Um, that's at least not thematically speaking because what you were, what was being said about the physician um, saying how his son is like just like Vincent, basically... It, like it's Vincent's duty to sort of let go of this lived life that he has achieved, like this dream that he has lived out that not many people get to for the sake of other people to like lift up everyone else around him to spark change in a way. Yeah, fuck it. I'm bumping up my score too. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for thanks for the great pick oh yeah no, very very lovely movie like even like once you guys rewatch it you'll catch details you guys missed out the first time it's very well put together i, I gotta i feel like this is oh sorry, no, no sorry. i was just gonna say I, I gotta check out other andrew nicole films after this Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like this is a movie that, like, if I ever see it on or, like, I don't know, I feel like it's just one you can just throw on and always watch it and just catch it from whenever you catch it, when it's on, you know, whatever point in the story, because you're always going to catch something new. I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this. Uh, I'm looking at a poster for Gattaca right now. The Staircase. I That did not click for me. Did that click for you guys? Yeah, it's a uh, represents a DNA helix sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, I did not represent. I did not realize that. Wait, the one in his house. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen it in the poster now. I'm like, oh Shit. damn it. <laughs> I thought it was more like you know symbolic of the distance between Jerome's world and Vincent's, but no, it's it's a spiral helix. Let's see, plenty of things. Love it. And well, uh, oh wait, what were you gonna say, Chris? Or, uh, or I, I like how I like the film's subtle approach with with explicit details in which, when Jude Law's character is like very drunk, and he says that, "Oh, I jumped in front of the car. It was me," and you're like, "What?" And it just tells you, like, right after he lost that race, he just, "All right, I was guaranteed for success, and here I am failing. Let me just kill myself." And that little bit of detail just kind of encompasses his whole character and his, his arc and stuff. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that aspect of this film. Well, I think that that just about wraps up this episode. Um, do we have any final thoughts before we close it out? Super quick one. I'm not super quick one. But... Uh, you mentioned Kevin, the uh, the noir the noir aspect. I definitely picked that up too at the start with the uh, murder director, and I thought for sure Uma Thurman was going to be uh, like a femme, femme fatale. fatale, yeah, a femme fatale who's figured out that Vincent isn't Jerome, and is kind of like setting him up to take the fall. But I'm glad it doesn't do that. Yeah, I'm very glad about that as well. It, it definitely subverted my expectations when it comes to like the that kind of trope. Uh, 
Um, but, um, I would just say, uh, yeah, this movie, I think, surprised me. It just kept surprising me. I even, I'm going to bump up. I'm going to bump up to 4.25 real quick since everybody's bumping up. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this, move, this movie, like we were saying, inspired a, a lot of things um, after this, like Severance. And I think it holds up even with The Matrix that came out around the same time. But I'm, I mean, the only reason this movie didn't gross all that money is because it's not a action-packed sci-fi. This is more of a thought-provoking, you know, deep, deep sci-fi that comments on, you know, things that people don't want to talk about. Yeah, I definitely agree with with that, Tyler. Um, it, I, I, I also agree that it it easily stands its ground, you know, in with you know. With the likeliness of like Ghost in the Shell, even I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb. Like if if this were put alongside like Ghost in the Shell and like The Matrix as like a, you know, if you were gonna like watch three films back to back to back in a day, I think that it would make like an excellent. It would make like an excellent uh triple feature, um, yeah. especially for like because I'm a huge fan of late '90s sci-fi, um whether it's like an anime form or live action form it's just something about like the gritty nature of it where it's not necessarily uh trying to create like this innately dystopian society like there are definitely like still good things about it like for instance the scene where um uh Irene is showing Vincent that giant like field like in the in the beginning of the day like when the sun's hitting the the panels and everything like to me that was like so beautiful and even that scene where he goes on like a leap of faith uh without his his uh contact lenses in to uh you know go pat you know cross the highway like even that imagery of like the smeared lens of like the headlights zooming past something about that felt so like endearing to me even though it was like insanely like dangerous and whatnot but yeah. like it just like encapsulates like this vibe for some reason and i and i still don't know how to put it into words like what this film uh what ghost in the show has what um you know even the matrix has like in some points or basically any any film like around this era like in the late 90s um i don't know it just really strikes a chord with me with like its grounded nature um while also being very certain vibe yeah it, it it feels pensive in a way um and it, it reminds me of, like, uh, the Twilight Zone um, in certain aspects, like the uh, the original run of it, as well as um, some Star Trek Next Generation episodes. Uh, like, it it makes me more hopeful. It's like, hey, you know, we, we there is something that we can do. We don't have to ultimately resign in the end to this ambivalent and apathetic uh, fate that is being given to us or that is being dealt to us in a way, you know, like we don't have to seek out other forms of like coping in order to, you know, try and, you know, basically like disassociate from the harsh reality. It's like, no, you, you can be like Vincent. You can be like Irene. You can, you can, um, fight it or rage against the dying light, so to speak. Um, and I, I think that that's ultimately what makes, vincent went out in the end is that uh you know as as chris mentioned earlier like that great line of 
how oh how did you you know always make it out this far well i never i never had anything left like i i basically like put everything into it and to me that that's just in in your it's just the purest form of beauty when it comes to being a human being to me Uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really glad that we got to have you on. Um, I'm really glad that I got to meet you. It seems like a very, like, a uh, chance opportunity. You know, I, was, I was feeling, like, very... I was feeling a little bummed out uh, toward the end of that night. And, like, just seeing you and meeting you and, like, hearing your thoughts on it. Yeah. And, I don't know, it gave me a, a newfound spark of hope. And I needed that. And I, I should be thanking you, which I am. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> uh, no, thank you, too. Yeah, no, just the butterfly effect then going up until you speaking to my film club up until now, you know, never would have happened if I hadn't gone and seen your film along with those others. So yeah, I'm grateful. Thank you as well, man. And I, and I wish you, like, all the best of luck in your pursuits and anything. And if you ever need help making stuff or want to make stuff like all of us, work on films like from time to time we all are keeping at it in some way or another and you're in good company love to hear that no same to you man you know if you ever need someone to just you know edit down hours and hours worth of footage i'm your guy sounds great well um if you'd like you can um tell people where to find out more of your stuff if not that's totally cool it's just a plug if you want yeah uh well i'd say uh to the people listening uh i currently run uh co-run a media brand um it, it was first a shirt company but now we kind of want to just take the name and just make it into a media uh brand uh it's called fsg worldwide um all one letter all one word uh low caps um on instagram uh they're there and you know if you ever need someone or some people to just edit your music videos you know we're up to the challenge there you have it folks um yeah so if uh once again if you want to see this film gattaca you can do so on youtube amazon voodoo wherever you want to rent it or stream it, or you can buy the film. Um, if you ever want to write in to us here at the podcast, you can do so by sending us an email to layfilmpodcast at gmail.com, or you could uh, follow us on Instagram at layfilmpodcast. Um, but with that said, uh, if you like our stuff, you can leave us a review wherever you're listening. Or if you ever want to be a guest on the podcast, please, please, please reach out to us. Um, it's 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 a lot of fun being able to interact with people and having them share films with us. You know, it gets us to broaden our own horizons and it gets us to, you know, connect with more people. So um, uh, glad that you stuck around with us for this long and we'll see you on the next episode. All right. Take care. Vincent! Vincent! Where's the shore? We're too far out. You wanna quit? We're too far out! You wanna quit? No!
you doing, Miss Fenton? Have you done any of this? We have to go back. Now, it's too late for that. We're close to the other side. What other side? You want to drown us both? You want to know how I did it? This is how I did it, Anton. I never saved anything for the swim back. 